0: Verse number one, praise the Lord. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because of the flower, As the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Verse eleven. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So as you can guess, we're going to be looking here at the book of James, and we're going to use this passage tonight as a backdrop to begin a study here in the book of James, but the book of James has often been called the the Proverbs of the New Testament, and that's because it contains so much practical wisdom and so much uh, practical life skills and life, things that we can apply to our life every day, wisdom that's important to us, And, and we all need wisdom, don't we? Amen. We all need wisdom fact here in this passage, and if you'll just keep your Bibles open so you can refer back to this with me, but here even in the fifth verse, James writes, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you need wisdom, you need direction, you need understanding, you have to ask God, and God will give it to you. He said, he gives to all men liberally and, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But, but I think it's important to understand we need the right kind of wisdom. There's more than one kind of wisdom. There's godly wisdom. And there's worldly wisdom. There's, there's a wisdom that comes from God, and there's a wisdom that sources from the world. And we need the right kind of wisdom. And what sometimes people do is they try to mix a godly wisdom with an understanding from the world. They try to get a blend going on in their life. They think, well, I'll, I'll have the influence of church, I'll have the influence of the Bible part of the way, but then I'm going to rely on the understanding and the wisdom of mankind. And they try to guide their life by some of this, this kind of a mixture or a blend of, of, a, uh, of wisdom from both sources, but, but that kind of wisdom doesn't work. Whenever you start mixing worldly wisdom uh, with divine wisdom, the worldly wisdom pretty much just cancels out the godly wisdom in our life. And it becomes of no effect to us, and we end up following the ways of the world, we end up following uh, worldly understanding about things, um, so you, you can't mix the two, you can't try to have a combination of both in your life, you know, it's they, they say an apple a day keeps the doctor away, you've all heard that, um, you know, eating fruit's good for you, there's nutritional value there, and, you know, and I believe that, and I, I, I get that, but When I was a kid, my mom, she did a great thing, and she went in the kitchen, and she turned on the oven, or the stove, and put some caramel in a saucepan, and she heated up some caramel, and she took an apple, apples, several apples, and she somehow melted this caramel down, and she either dipped those apples down in that caramel, or she poured the caramel over these apples, and she made these wonderful wonderful apples, you know, with caramel all over them, and then when they cooled off, she handed them, up, handed them to us kids, and we got to eat these wonderful, sugary, gooey apples with caramel all over, the, all over the, you know, all over them. They were great. I loved them. I mean, they're ingrained up here in my mind. I remember that, but, but whatever nutritional value was in that apple, when you covered it with caramel sauce and all that sugary stuff, it's gone. There's no more value there. Sorry, I never mind. Um, there, there's no more value to those apples when you cover them with sugar and that substance, right? It's kind of like wisdom. You got good wisdom, you got wisdom that helps us and that's beneficial to us. But when you but when you start mixing it with what the world says is right and what the world says is what we should do it messes up any value that God's wisdom has in our life. So we throw out the worldly wisdom, we throw out the worldly knowledge and understanding, and we, we strive for what God's plan and His understanding is for our life. Praise the Lord. And that's where we get the benefit. That's where the blessing comes from. And so here we're going to look at this, this book of James. And of course, the book was written by James. God inspired this man named James to write this book, and there's, there's more than one James mentioned in the Bible. In fact, Something I learned is that James is a it's a it's a form of the Old Testament name of Jacob, and so is a very, very popular name. So there are several Jameses in the in the Bible. There was James who was the brother of John, the apostle. There's Peter, James, and John. Had a little sailboat. That James. That, that was one of the Jameses. He didn't write this book. There was there was another disciple whose name was James. He was James, the son of Alphaeus. There was another James mentioned in the book of Luke, just in one verse. But the James that wrote this book was actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ. His parents were Joseph and Mary. Um, of course, Jesus' father was not Joseph. He was, it was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary. And so, uh, Jesus had a different father. But it was this half-brother of Jesus that actually wrote this book of James. He was, whenever Jesus was on the earth... Um, we read about Jesus' brothers. They didn't follow him. His brethren didn't follow him. They didn't believe him. But after Jesus went to Calvary and he rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to his brother James. And it must have, he must have converted or must have believed the Lord, began to follow the Lord at that time, because you get it over in the book of Acts, chapter 1, chapter 2, Jesus' brothers, Jesus' mother Mary, they were there at Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out. James, this James was one of them who was there at Pentecost. He eventually became the leader at the church at Jerusalem. Uh, Galatians 2.9 says he was a pillar in the church. And, and then we don't have any record about his death, but tradition says that this man, James, who wrote this letter... Uh, one commentator said this, he said, We have no record in the Bible, but tradition tells us that James was martyred in A.D. 62. The story is that the Pharisees in Jerusalem so hated James's testimony for Christ that they had him cast down from the temple and then beaten to death with clubs. The story also relates that James died, as did his Savior, praying for his murderers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So I want you to look at this verse here with me. We're going to start here in the first verse. And I want you to look at this with me because it says James and it says uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So he's writing to the 12 tribes. That's Israel, the uh, uh, this nation, and it says that they were scattered. And what that is referring to is that there were Jews that that had been that had been carried about into the areas and scattered abroad. In other words, not all of the Jews lived in Jerusalem. Not all the Jews lived right there in the land of Palestine. But there were Jews that lived in all the surrounding areas at this in this time. And when James writes this letter to the church, he's writing to Jewish Christians that are living outside of the land of Israel, outside of the land of Jerusalem, these scattered tribes. And, of course, they were scattered because of their... Years of disobedience earlier, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they scattered these Jews in all these other lands. But if you remember in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he preached to Jews from all, about 17 different groups are listed there in Acts chapter 17. This is who James is writing to. And he's writing to these Jews who, and you kind of have to think about this with me, that these Jews, they lived outside of Jerusalem, which means they lived among Gentile people. They lived, these Jews lived with people who were not Jews, which means they were probably dealing with the level of prejudice. They were dealing with the level of rejection. They're living in areas with people that didn't come from where, that didn't have the same background as them. So they're living in Gentile areas, so they're facing this, this persecution probably. And then They are Christians. They're Jews that converted to Christianity. Now that's important because not all the Jews left the law of Moses. Not all the Jews converted to Christianity. So these Jews became followers of Jesus Christ, which would actually add another level of persecution or rejection to these Jewish Christians because now they would have been rejected by all of those Jews that were still following Moses' law. So what I'm trying to say is that James is writing to a group of people whose life was probably under somewhat of some pressure or rejection, uh, persecution uh, that they would have been facing. They were probably, many of them were probably living in poor areas because they were li- not living in Jerusalem. They weren't living in Israel. So he's probably writing to some, some poor uh, Jewish Christians that are living outside of the land of Israel. And. As you read this book, and I hope most of you had an opportunity to read James chapter 1 today, but as you read through this chapter and you read through the, the chapters of the book of James, James starts going through and he starts addressing several issues that these people are facing. For example, he starts talking about people who are impatient when they get involved in a trial or a test. They don't wait for God. They're they're impatient about it. We'll talk about that in a minute. He addresses people who start showing special treatment to rich people. He said, you can't be a respecter of persons. If you're a respecter of persons, you commit sin. In other words, you can't look at somebody just because they have money and treat them on a different level uh, than a poor person. And he addresses that in this book. He talks about competition and strife in the church people who desired teaching positions. He talked about people who had a problem with their tongue. He said, your tongue is a, a world of iniquity. He talked about worldliness in the church. He said that that uh, to be a friend of the world is to be at enmity or to be at odds with God. You can't be a friend of the world and have a good relationship with God. And he addresses that in this book. He even talks about sicknesses which, which seems to be as a result of people who were disobedient to the Word of God. But all of these issues that James deals with in this book can be basically summed up, and they are a result of people who were spiritually immature. They just just weren't growing in God. They were immature Christians. And when you read through this letter, James writes about some Indicators, and he writes about some signs of mature believers. And so, as, as we touch on these and as we go through these, what James is writing about is if you're, he said, basically, he's telling us if you're going to be a mature believer, this should be an indicator in your life. You don't treat rich people differently, you don't, you don't have a, a mouth or a tongue that is out of control. These are marks he is telling us of mature believers. And so, this first sign or this First um, indicator of a believer is in these first these first couple of verses here, and the first mark of a mature believer is that he is patient when he's tested. All right, he is patient when he goes through times of testing. Just like it requires a lot of patience if you're going to run a marathon, if you're going to be a long distance runner, it takes a lot of patience. To, I mean, if you go out and run a mile. You might be able to run a mile in 11, 12 minutes, something, something like that. Maybe quicker, 10, 8, 10 minutes if you're really fast. 15 minutes if you're on the slower end. But you could run that mile and get it done. But if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to have to set a pace for the next hour and a half or two hours, however long it takes you to run that 26.2-mile marathon. You've got you to be patient. You can't get in a hurry. You can't sprint and expect to finish the marathon. But just like it takes patience to run a marathon, and just like it takes patience to, to become physically fit, like Brother Wallace taught last Wednesday night, it requires patience to grow in times of testing and trials. All right? And this is, this is what I'm going to hone in here tonight for a couple of minutes. It takes patience when we are tested. There are, there are basically two kinds of tests that are talked about here in this first chapter. One is external And the other is internal. And we have external tests. Those are the trials that we face. Those are things that come at us. Maybe they're financial problems. Maybe they're family problems. Maybe they're employment problems. Maybe there's some other variation of that, of situations that come to us external. Those are trials. But then there's the other kind. They're internal. And those those are temptations. Temptations are happening on the inside of a man. They're, they're internally taking place. And so there are, there are external trials and tests, but there are also internal temptations. But I want to tell you here tonight that tests are designed to strengthen us. This is very, very important. Tests are designed to make us stronger in God. And God brings out the best in us. When we go through times of adversity, a test, is, a test is a burden with a purpose. Now think about that. It is, it is when you come under weight. It's when you face trials, you face pain or hurts. but there's a purpose in all of that. That's what a trial is. It is a burden that has a purpose behind it. And you know, just like if you were to try to build up your physical body. That development, if you're gonna, if you're gonna lift, if you want to become stronger physically, you have to pick up weight and you have to put it under. You have to put their muscles under strain. You have to lift those weights and, and if you're gonna run or get become physically fit, you have to sweat. You have to perspire. You have to do some work, don't you? You have to do some work, don't you? If you want to grow in God you're going to have to get under some weight. If you want to grow in God, it's not going to come down easy street. It's not going to be because you never face a trial or you never go through a problem or you're never tested in any way. The only way you're going to get stronger in God is that weight comes upon your life. Now that's hard to swallow, isn't it? But that's the way it happens. And we we become stronger spiritually when we walk through times and seasons of testing in our life. And so notice here what he says here in verse number 2. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And notice the word joy is in the, is in the same sentence with the word temptations or testings. James writes there that we ought to count it joy... When we are tested, that's, that's interesting because usually when you talk about the word testing or trials, you associate the words pain or struggle or, or weight. Those are the things we talk about when you start talking about tests and trials. We don't talk about joy. When, when people start uh, telling you how, how much trouble or how much weight they're under or their tests that they're going through, they... They talk about how hard it is. They talk about the pain that they're dealing with. They're talking about the struggle that they're facing in that time. But James writes this, and he says, brethren, again, this is important for us to grab this. He says, count it joy when you go through the test. And the word count there, he says count it. Count it means to consider it or to to evaluate it. Count it joy. It's a financial term. It's like do the math here. James would say do the math here. When you go through trials, you have to to do some calculating and understand that there's a reason behind it all. So God's at work in your life. So count it joy when you walk through the times of testing because you know God is at work in your life. Praise the Lord. See, that's why the Apostle Paul, he could say this in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul, he uses this same word, count. Listen to this, what he said, Philippians chapter 3. He says, but what things, this is verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Now what things were gained for Paul? Well, he had a great pedigree. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was an educated man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was an a highly esteemed Jewish teacher. This, this was Paul's background. But Paul would say, in verse 7, what things were gained to me, I evaluated, he said, they were lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's just the opposite of the understanding of the world. The understanding of the world, they're putting it out there. Hey, you have to have this in your life. You have to be involved in this. If you want to be valuable, if you want to be important in the world, you better have, have all these credentials. You better have this, or you better have this popularity. You know, that's going to make you important in the world. But Paul said, that stuff doesn't mean a thing. I'm going after the Lord. He said, I've done some evaluating, I've done some considering it. And so James writes this and he says, count it all joy when you fall into testing. As a Christian, we live for things that matter the most. One commentator said, our values, this is so good, listen to this. Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Job had the right outlook when he said, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Trial comes at you. Test comes your way. What do you do with it? How do you respond? See, James is saying, We have to handle it with patience. We have to wait. We have to see how things are going to, we're going to have to wait on God and let God do the work through this testing, through the trial. We don't get upset. We don't throw in the towel. We don't say, I quit. I don't, you know, when pain comes, when sickness happens, when trouble arises, we lose our job or our financial situation turns upside down. We don't just say, well, I give up, God. God may be testing you. God may be working in your life and you say, all right, God's at work. What's God going to do in my life? I don't understand this. I, I haven't got it all figured out, but I know God is at work. See, this is the attitude. This is the approach. I know, I know I'm being tested. That means God's doing something in me. Now, that, that's hard in a carnal sense. That's hard in a, in a worldly understanding. But, but as one, one person said, our outlook, you count a joy, our outlook will determine the outcome. And how we view these things. See, whenever you go to a a big downtown area and you walk to a downtown, maybe New York City or Chicago, never been to those cities, but I've been to like Indianapolis or been to Kansas uh, Kansas City, St. Louis, and you walk around downtown and you look around and all you see are big buildings. Some of them are skyscrapers, some of them are huge. You You go down to Manhattan, downtown Manhattan or Huge skyscrapers. And and if you try to see very far, you can't see very far. All you see is a building. You might be able to walk out to the street corner and maybe see a block or two that way or that way or this way. You might be able to see a little bit. But sometimes in life, problems loom. Sometimes all we can focus on is the trouble. and We try to see past it, and we can't see past it. It's just... Financial issues or family issues or job issues or whatever it is. It's problems, it's trials, and that's all we can see. But you know what, if you get in a plane or you get in a helicopter and you go a few thousand feet up in the air, you can look down on the same buildings and see it from a different perspective. You, you, you begin to you see things differently. I mean, you might be able to put your thumb out there and think, you might be able to cover a whole building with your thumb if you're up high enough. And you see things in a different perspective and, and understand things different. See, that's kind of like life. We can go through life and we can walk through life and we can, just, we can focus on how bad it is and how troubling it is and, and, and all the heartache and the pain and the struggle, or we can get a godly perspective. We can rise above that and say, you know what? God's doing something here. God is at work right now in my life. And we rise above the circumstances. You know, what, you know what happens to a lot of people? You know what happens to a lot of people? Is they judge their happiness and they judge their joy by their circumstances. They say, well, bless God, everything's horrible. Everything's upside down. Boo-hoo-hoo. And they whine and they cry and they think how horrible things are. And they judge, they get their happiness, they get their joy. They don't smile. They're mad at the world. They're mad at everybody. They're not happy because of the circumstances in their life. But our joy and our circumstances, or our joy and our happiness do not come from our circumstances. You know where it comes from? It comes from our attitude. That's why James says, count it, joy. There are people that have gone through a lot worse trouble a lot worse struggles than I have ever faced. And yet they have been, they've had the joy of the Lord right on through all those problems. There are people that have been under heavier burdens. They have faced just horrible circumstances in their life, and yet they have somehow maintained their joy. This this is about perspective. This This is about seeing things like through a godly wisdom, through a divine understanding. Praise the Lord. So he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When you fall. He didn't say if. He said when you fall. Not, not, maybe it'll happen. It's going to happen. A Christian that does not expect a trial is—they're uh, in for an awakening. Sometimes these, these TV preachers and those people that tout the nonsense that you don't—that you won't ever have money problems or you won't ever face any struggles. If you'll just—if you'll just—if you'll just send us your money, you won't ever face any. those liars on those charlatans on TV. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, sometimes they sell people a bill of goods. Sometimes they make people believe that they're never going to face a trial. They're liars. (laughs) They're living in a fantasy land. But what I'm trying to say here is just because we go through a trial doesn't mean our life has to fall apart. Um, Jesus said this in John 16, 33. John 16, 33, this is what Lord said, listen to this verse. These things have I, I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. You're going to face trials. You're going to face tests. Um, acts 1422 did I put that one in there for the michael put that on the screen let's look at the, this is what paul was facing Paul said this confirming the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith that we now catch this that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God if you don't already know this whenever you begin to make a move for God and you start trying to strive for god and you you start trying to take positive steps in your relationship with the lord the old devil he's going he's going to rear his head up and he's going to push back as hard as he can he's going to do his best to discourage you every step of the way amen but we're going to go we're going to face trials he said when you fall into these tests and most all of us we either we're either in the middle of a trial we're coming out of a trial or we're fixing to go into one that's, that's the story of most of us. We're either in the middle of it, we're coming out of it, or we're fixing to go into it. But he writes this to a group of people. James writes this to the 12 tribes that are scattered. He, he didn't say they were the sheltered group. This, this group, and, and, and this, this just hit home to me last evening, or yesterday afternoon, and again today as I was studying this, James is writing to a scattered group of people, and he's trying to help them. He's trying to help them understand what's going on around them. But um, I thought, you know what, that's kind of like right now. People are scattered right now, you know, during this whole thing that's been happening. People kind of got scattered. And and James is trying to encourage some people during this, this time here, trying to give some direction for their lives. Um, There are trials that come our way just because we're human beings. People get sick. Good godly people get sick. Good godly people go through accidents. It happens. Um, Sometimes even good godly people face tragedies. You know, all kinds of trials and tests come their way. But Peter said it this way. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. It's just a couple of pages over in your Bible. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Look what. This this apostle said, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. He said, a trial shouldn't surprise you. You're facing a test, It's, it's it's not something that should be foreign to us. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. God's doing a work in our lives. God's doing something in our lives. Praise the Lord. So he said, count it joy when you fall into, when you fall into, this is, again, when he says fall into there in verse 2 that we read. When you fall into it, it doesn't mean you've made a dumb decision. It doesn't mean that we've done something we shouldn't have done. It's just something that we have encountered. When you encounter a test, when you encounter a trial, when you come across that test, because life happens to every one of us. Amen. It happens to every one of us. And they are divers. He said, "Diverse temptations. They're diverse. They're various. There's all kinds of trials. That, that word means very colored. Multiple colors. You know what James is saying? He's saying, your trial may not be, it's not going to look like my trial. And my test is not going to look like your test. Sometimes we have to be careful when we look at other people and we start judging them and telling them, you know, well, you're going through this trial, so you need to do step one, two, three. Sometimes we just need to back off and, because their trial is not your trial. And we may not understand what they're under. We may not understand the weight that they are under, but... There are diverse trials. There are diverse kinds of tests that come at people, and and um, you know these different tests that we come. And I'm and I'm I'm getting older in my you know I'm getting older, and and I'm learning that that as different things come at you, it's the different experiences and the different things that you go through. They are molding, and they're shaping. And they're, they're kind of chipping away at the rough spots. And they're, they're, they're putting some good things in, in life. And, uh, you know, like that old song we, we sung, it's been a long time that we, since we sung it, but it says, when I look back over my life and I think things over, how's it go? The Lord's been good. I have a testimony. I look back. I look back at life and I think, God helped me through that time. I learned something there. God was, God was extracting some things some, some things out of my life that wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't enjoy that season in my life, but, but God did a work in me in that time. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? God is shaping and molding our lives in various ways, in various trials. I've got this rug at my house. I don't, I don't know where it's at. I, haven't, I don't know if it's out right now, but it's a, it's a Persian rug. I think it's a Persian rug. Do we have a Persian rug? We have, this, we have this, it's a very nice rug, it's, it's not real big, but it's very nice, and we bought it from a missionary a number of years ago, I think it was Brother Sham, missionary to Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, we bought this, this rug, much more, very expensive, much more than we'd pay for any other rug. But anyway, we have this rug, and it's, it's kind of a dark, deep blue colored, and it's got some other uh, colors in it, some yellow and orange. There's some nice colors. But, but when, they, when they make a rug like that, they take the different colors of fabric or different colors of yarn, and they, they weave that stuff together. They, they, they compress it. It's very, a, a very tight knit, very tight rug. But they, they weave those different colors together. They, they combine them, and then, and then they create this beautiful rug, this beautiful thing. But it's, it's not just all one color. Multiple colors that come together and it makes something beautiful. But if you pick up, if you go to my house and you pick up that rug and you look on the underside of that rug, not very nice, not very pretty. It's just kind of rough down there on the other underside of the rug. The beautiful side of it is the top part. You know, our life is like a rug, a Persian rug. You know, our life, God's put various trials various tests, and they, they're, they're sewn together. God weaves the different experiences of life together. You need to hear this. God weaves the different experiences together in our life, and, it, and it, when he's done, we look back. We look back, and we think, God has done a beautiful thing in that person's life. Now, what some people do is they'll, they'll go look at their life, and they'll lift up the bottom side. And they'll see all the hurt. They'll see all the pain. They'll see the rejection. They'll see all the problems, all the issues they face, and all they're they're looking at the, the bottom side of the rug of their life. But why not look at the beauty that's come out of the life? That's what God does for people's lives. You say, "I don't understand why God has has laid this burden or this weight upon me." I'll tell you why He's laid it upon you. It's because He wants to do something great in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to mold you and and fashion you, make you you differently. God doesn't want us to remain on this plateau the rest of our life. God wants us to ascend. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. And so that maturity, that growing, it comes through these things called tests and trials of all kinds of of ways. And, And so James says you need to find joy in those times. When trials come, just... Give thanks to God. Get a joyful attitude about it. That doesn't mean you pretend. It doesn't mean you be a phony about it. But, but you know, when you, when you go through a trial or go through a test, you can look through eyes of faith. You can, you can look through some, some faith, through, some, through a lens of faith and, and know that when we get on the other side, things are going to be better. That, that's, why, that's why Paul said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God who are called according. We know some things. I had another verse here in my notes here. Let's see if I can. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight. See, we're going to face trials. We're going to face tests. Peter calls it the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. The trial of your faith. God's trying our faith. You know what God wants to know about us? And I'm I'm wrapping up. You You can rest easy. I'm almost done. But you know what God wants to know about us? Anybody that's watching or listening? God wants to know, is your faith for real? Is it is it the real deal or is it just a phony faith? Is it just a surface? Is it facade? It's, is it a veneer in your life? When Je, when when Abraham, when God called Abraham, He said, "All right, Abraham, I'm going to test your faith. I'm going to see if this is a real deal." You know, Abraham left of Ur of Chaldees, and God gave Abraham the son Isaac, his son Isaac. He said, All right, Isaac, let's see, or Abraham, let's see if this is a real deal. I want you to take your son. I want you to sacrifice him, offer him to me. Genesis 22, says, God did tempt Abraham. He tested Abraham. So they climb up Mount Moriah, go up on top of the hill. You you probably know the story. He goes up the hill, takes his son, lays his son on on the altar, raises the knife to take the life of his son. The angel of the Lord said, Hold it. Abraham, he said, Here I am. And the Lord told Abraham, he said, now I know. You Go back and read that Genesis 20. Now I know. God's testing you right now. God's testing me. He's, he's pushing us through trials and tests. And the reason is he wants to know. if it's, Because I'll tell you what happens if our faith is not real. If our faith is not. And we, we get under the weight and we get under the pressure in those times. We walk away from God. That's not real faith. Real faith is God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to wait on you. I am going to patiently wait on the other side for the other side to come. That's patience in trials and tests. God's doing a work in our lives, God's doing a work in our church, in our families, in our homes. And we have to trust Him. Count it joy. You don't get mad. That's what happens a lot of people they get mad at God they get mad at church they get mad at this they get mad at that they're mad at their family they're mad at their job they're mad at every all kinds of things happen around them and they just they just throw in the towel that's immaturity that's what that is that's a sign of spiritual immaturity but we trust God and we grow through it amen I need to quit stand with me please praise the Lord count it all joy now if I were Talking to the young people tonight, they may not understand this, but used to, whenever you took pictures, photographers, professional photographers, they would take the film, and they would go in a dark room, and they would develop the film. They would turn the lights off. I guess they have some kind of a red light in there or something. I've never done it, but they go into the dark room, and they start developing that film. And after a certain period of time, the image begins to develop on that, on that photo paper. It starts to come clear. I thought, you know, that's what God does for us sometimes. He takes us into the dark room because he's, he's, he's wanting to make an image. He wants to shape us and mold us. And I thank God for trials. I thank God for... I don't understand them all. And sometimes the weight almost seems unbearable at times, but I know God's doing a work. So have faith in God. Trust God through the process. And believe God through it all. And some of you know exactly what I'm preaching and teaching about. You've been where I'm I'm talking about. You know what this is all about. But you get on the other side and God has done a great work. Let's worship the Lord together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the provision in our life. God, thank you for your hand upon us. And God, we know that you are working. We know, Lord, that you are helping us. And you, Lord, are guiding us. And Lord... We are going to trust in You with all of our heart. And Lord, we're not leaning to our own understanding, but in all our ways, Lord, we acknowledge You and put our faith and confidence in what You're doing. And I pray blessing, Lord, upon us this evening. And I pray strength, Lord, upon Your people. God, touch us, I pray. And Lord, continue to give us godly, divine wisdom, Lord, that only comes from You. I pray blessing upon Your people, Lord, as we leave Your house. Protect us, I pray. We love you and worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you tonight. Love and appreciate you. Thank you for coming to the house of the Lord. Don't forget prayer Saturday night and then Sunday, 10 o'clock.